Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving, because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Peter began to tell him, Look, we have ev left everything and followed you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Thank you. All right, so we're in Mark chapter 10, everybody. Mark chapter 10. Next week, we're going to uh, get back into the book of Romans. So if you want to prepare, you can read uh, Romans 12. That's what we're going to get back in next week. But we're going to sit here for a second. And I just want you to, to think about this question. It might, you might even have to think about it too, too long. Um, is it hard to follow Jesus? It's like, yeah, no, yeah. Is it hard to follow Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hard sometimes, right? So, the, so we all, okay, everybody acknowledges that it's hard sometimes to follow Jesus and hard to obey what he says. And the next question is, if it's so hard to follow him, will it be worth it? Yeah, that's, this is, the, this is the, the topic of the text today. Even though it's hard to follow Jesus sometimes, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please help us to understand your word. Lord, I pray that it would, it would sink down deep into our hearts and that you would produce the change that you want in us. Lord, we don't want to just be hearers of the world, or the, of the word. We want to be doers of the word. So, Lord, please, by your grace, enable us to do that. In your name, amen. Amen. Can you close that door right there? Thank you. All right, so look at, looking at verse 17, Mark 10, 17. If you want a Bible, you can get one, you can follow along. It says, as he was setting out on a journey, he is Jesus. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now you're like, why he answered like that? Look at verse 18. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. 
No one is good except God alone. So if you, if you know the context of the story, you know the rest of the story, and you do because we just read it. This man was trying to butter Jesus up. You ever had somebody try to butter you up? Oh, you so good. Yeah, you, you real smart. He was like, man, I'm going to call Jesus good, and he's going to call me good, and we're just going to have a good old time because we all good. He wanted to butter Jesus up. He, you, know, he, you can tell, listen, that he did not really want him as a teacher because he later rejected what he said. Yeah? So from the, from, from the context of the story, we understand that it wasn't that deep in his heart he valued Jesus as a good teacher. He, he has some other motivation. Actually, I think he wanted Jesus to tell him how good he was. See, he was self-deceived about his own spiritual state. He wanted, listen, when he said, what do I got to do with eternal life? He wanted Jesus to say, well, you did it already. Congratulations. Good job. Now tell all your friends that you got the cosign from Jesus. Listen, listen, he went to Jesus not as one in need, but he went to Jesus seeking to be justified with his own works. He, listen, he wanted to look in the mirror and see some shiny teeth. He wanted to look in the mirror and see a new haircut. He didn't actually want to see what was really there. And the reality is we do this. We, listen, listen, sometimes we want to put church on, we want to put Jesus on as a, as a good-looking coat so that the people can't really see what's on the inside of us, but we just want to wear something nice and we want to, want to claim Jesus as, as our friend so people can look at us and go, oh man, he must be a good person. She must, she must really roll with Jesus. Another thing we learn is that, listen, you cannot call Jesus good without calling him God. You cannot call Jesus good without calling him God. You saw how he called him out? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And you're like, well, how would he know that? Jesus was going around saying he was the son of God. He thought he was buttering Jesus up, but he gave him a compliment that was less than who he really was. See, Jesus claims divinity, so, so he is God or, or he's a liar. So he's God or he's bad. He can't, he's not, he's not God. Oh. <laughs> Praise Jesus. The baby's feeling it. He's like, me too. You go, baby. All right. <laughs> Listen, Jesus claims divinity. So remember the, the guy comes up to Jesus. He says, what should I do to have eternal life? Verse 19, it says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. In other words, obedience to God is, it means obedience to his commandments. And that seems like, duh. But I can't tell you how many people come up to me like, what does God want me to do? And I'm like, it's not a mystery. Uh, it's in a book. <laughs> uh, he outlines kind of the conduct that he wants for your life. But what people are asking for is not, not necessarily how do I conduct myself. They want to know some secret future that he has for them. But you will never get to the future that God has for you if you do not obey what is clear in the scriptures. I'm going to say it again. Listen, listen, you will not get to where you need to go and the secret best life that you think you have if you do not obey what is clear. You want some, someone to reveal to you secret things when you won't even do what's revealed in the text. 
And he said, listen, I want, you, I want you to go back. He says, what is he saying? What is he saying? These random commandments. He's going back to the Ten Commandments. Jesus went real old school with him. What do you want? Like, what do I got to do inherit eternal life? Go read the Ten Commandments is what Jesus said. What they say? See, the Ten Commandments are the outline of, of what we need to do. And, and Jesus expects him to know these commandments. So Lord, we better know them too. And these commandments are a path to life. So many times we look at God's commandments as straitjackets to constrict us from doing what we want to do. When in reality, they are the path to freedom. If we would meditate on the commandments of God, we would understand that our life isn't just simply checking boxes. But when we would meditate on the commandments, we would see the heart of the conduct God wants us to have. Listen to this. Listen to this. There's some old explanations of the commandments. Because you hear the commandments, you're like, do not murder. You're like, I probably shouldn't kill nobody. But that's the bare minimum. Here's a commentary on, on, on the command, do not murder. It says, we should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. What he's saying is the, 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 the opposite of the command, the opposite of do not murder is not non-murder. The opposite of do not murder is that I make sure that people are safe, that I do what I need to do to make sure that they have what they need. You see, the heart of the commandment isn't just checking a box. It actually points to a motivation. Or when, he said, when it says do not steal, it says we should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. So it's not simply that you don't steal something. It's that you make sure that you're not getting money in any type of dishonest, illegal way. And that you make sure that, they can, that, that other people around you can prosper. See, the commandments point to the heart. And they actually don't just reveal something about how you think about other people. They reveal something about how you think about God. Yeah. Remember, it says we should fear and love God so that we don't do this, that, or another. So here's the deal. When the, when, the, when the guy who was asking, what should I do with inherit eternal life? And Jesus listed out the commandments. What that was supposed to reveal to him, not just a little checkbox, but like this was revealed on how do I consider who God is? Has, has my life not only reflected that I stayed inside the boundaries, but has my life reflected that I have loved God and loved those around me? Notice about how it's more about the heart. Yeah. So, so when Jesus gives a commentary on do not murder, remember what he says? You have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, if you hate your brother in your heart, you have committed murder in your heart. Jesus is concerned about the heart. And beloved, listen to this. Jesus loves us enough to confront us. Look at verse 20. He said to him, the, the, the guy, he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. Get that. Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Listen. I want you to hear what Jesus, I want you to hear, think about this. God says, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, obey all of the commandments. And he goes, you know, since I was a child, I did that. Who, who you know can say that? 
Right? Like, since I was a little old boy, I ain't never dishonored my parents. Like, like, fool, what is he talking about? Like, who, who can honestly say since they was a child, they obeyed all the commandments? This guy is so full of himself. And listen, Jesus saw this guy being so full of himself, and he looked at him, and he didn't say he hated him. He didn't say he disliked him. He didn't say, get away from me. He looked at him and loved him. And he says, let me show you a more clear picture of yourself because you are deluded. You don't see yourself. So let me, let me say something that will, that will help you to see the real state of your heart. In other words, Jesus reveals his idolatry. Listen, listen. He thought the commands were about a picture of himself and making himself look good. But Jesus demonstrated that his heart was not to follow God, but to justify himself. This is only, you can only do this in certain, so I, I, you know, I've been in other cultures where, where to follow, follow Christ, it, it wasn't like a good thing. I've been in, in, in cultures where it was illegal to share the gospel. And so nobody's trying to be fake and follow Jesus. But around here, we can follow Jesus because it gives us some social cred. Because people can look at us and say, oh, but he's a good person. But Jesus doesn't let him get away with this. And he, he points out this one thing. The heart of discipleship is a posture of following the Lord, not merely checking boxes. And Jesus himself demonstrates this. If you look at his whole life, no one could ever have an accusation against Jesus that he didn't obey the commandments. That's why when they were trying, they would put him on trial and they was making stuff up. They, they, when he was on trial before his crucifixion, it says that they were saying different stuff and the stuff they said about him didn't even match because they couldn't figure out how to say something wrong about him because he was so righteous. But I want you all to remember before that trial, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was praying about the fact that he was about to endure torture in the cross. And do you all remember what he said? He says, Father... If there's, if there's any way for this cup to pass, let it pass. If there's any way for this not to go down, if, if I can do another thing, let that be the case. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That phrase, not my will, but your will, that's the heart of discipleship. Not, simple, not, not, not that we have a box of actions that we check. No, is that we say, I want to, to say that I want to submit all of my life, all of my affections, all of my emotions, all of my stuff, everything that I own, I want to submit it to you. And then Jesus starts saying stuff that sounds crazy. In verse 23, we get this, this, this thing that sounds crazy to our American ears. It says, wealth can be an obstacle to following God. Look at verse 23. <laughs> Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, in our materialism and our, our quest to accumulate more things, we really want to soften, soften this, don't we? We want to be like, well, he ain't, re he ain't really, really mean that, right? He but what this reveals is that we actually don't have a clear understanding of the whole biblical witness about wealth and the dangers of it. Scripture teaches us, listen to this, 
that wealth and money can cover sin. Listen, listen to Amos 5.12. This is one of the, the prophets. He says, For I know your crimes are many, and your sins innumerable. They oppress the righteous, take a bribe, and deprive the poor of justice at the city gates. What he's describing is these are sins that just not anybody can do. These are sins that because they had wealth, they had the opportunity. See, some, here's, here's, sometimes we pat ourselves back because we don't do this or that sin, but sometimes the reality is we don't have the opportunity to do it. <laughs> if we had the opportunity, maybe we would do it. <laughs> but we don't have the opportunity to commit every kind of sin. Okay? Listen, this hit home when I've, when I've, when I've spoken with people who are navigating the criminal justice system without money. I want you to understand something. The experience of navigating the system with money and the experience of navigating the system without money is two different worlds. Okay? You have money to buy a lawyer. You have money for a good defense. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. You on the outside looking in, you may look at two people and you might assume one is guilty and one is innocent. But the reality could be one had the money to get out. So listen, we, we need to be honest about how the scripture portrays wealth. Not only that, it says the scripture teaches that greed can overtake the heart. If you have more, you can get more. That's called interest. How you get interest? You got more. <laughs> if you have more, you can get more. And the ease of getting more can cover the idol of greed. The scripture teaches us that wealth can make us arrogant or falsely secure. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 17. It says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. What he's saying, there's a danger to be prideful when you see your accomplishments as just your accomplishments and not as evidences of God's grace. We think about spiritual gifts as, as things that are given to us by God, but your mind is given to you by God. Your skills are given to you by If you got a sharp wit, that's given to you by God. And you might look back on your life and think, oh, look at all, all the things that I've done. But you have to submit to the God's grace because without him allowing you to function, without him giving you breath, you would have accomplished nothing. There is no reason to be prideful about your accomplishments because every single accomplishment is a result of God's grace. He's showing, he's telling us, do not set our hope on what can be gone tomorrow. Now, listen, I don't know if I've ever been in the category of rich, but I have been in the category of not having enough. And it's easy to set your hope on money there, too. If I get this, if I just get this, everything will be all right. There is a real danger there. <laughs> the scripture says those who are wealthy, those who have more should be generous. First Timothy 6, 18 and 19, it says, instruct them, the rich, instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Listen, he's saying that you have, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to have a posture that everything you own actually isn't yours, that you are a steward. It belongs to God. And you have to give an account for what you do with what you have. And the excuse cannot be when you stand before God, well, I made it, I did it all by myself. No, you did not. Because the fact that you can function, the fact that your brain can work, 
the fact that you can breathe in air is evidence of God's grace to you. So then the question is, what should our posture be towards wealth? I mean, should, should we want to be poor? Is that, is that what the scripture says? Listen to this prayer. This is from Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9. I, keep this prayer. It says, it says, give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, proclaiming the name of my God. Basically, give me enough that I have what I need and I can be content. That is a completely different posture about wealth than the culture has. It's always give me more and more and more and more. Jesus has some strong things to say about that. Then when you get to verse 26, the disciples are like, huh? They said they, they were even astonished saying one another, who can be saved? They're like, well, if they can't be saved, then who in the world could be saved? In verse 27, looking at them, Jesus said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. In other words, in other words it's like they looked at that, that rich man walking away sad because he didn't want to give up his stuff. And they said, man, how can that guy be disassociated with his idol? How can he let go of that which he loves? And Jesus says, it'll take a miracle. And the reality is, all of our idols might not be the same. All of our But listen, if you are going to be disattached from your idol, if you are going to love Jesus above all, it's going to take a miracle. But y'all, Jesus is a miracle worker. Yeah? If he rose something from the dead then he can take your, your wonky, funky desires and make them right. This is the one that we serve. And if we follow Jesus, it's only by his grace and power. Now, Peter's listening to Jesus, telling this rich man to sell everything. And he's like, well, I left a lot of stuff. What does that get me? <laughs> Look at verse 28. Peter began to tell him, look, we have left everything. <laughs> to follow and follow Jesus. Like, so what will we get, right? We did it, Jesus. What's, what's in it for us? Look, verse 29 says, truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. The reality is sometimes disciples of Christ wonder if the sacrifice is worth it. Yeah? And Jesus is indicating that sometimes the sacrifices can be quite painful. He's he not, he not mentioning little stuff you have to give up. He's not like, you'll have to lose a penny to follow me. That's not what he said. Sometimes you might have to go against your closest relationships to obey me. Sometimes you, you might have to give up what you really, really, really wanted to obey me. You know, uh, in the, you know, I'm a history nerd, so it is what it is. In the 1700s, there was this, this group of Christians called the Moravians, and, and they just had this deep heart to, to share the gospel with people all over the world. And what, what, the people group that was particularly on their hearts were, were actually the, the African slaves in uh, the Americas. And they didn't, have, they, didn't, they didn't know how to get over there. They were in Europe. They didn't know how to get over there to share the gospel. And y'all know what they did? 
they would sell themselves into slavery so that they could go to America to share the gospel with those who have been enslaved. The other thing you need to understand is this. This wasn't like they could call their mama when they got to America. Ain't no phones. You can't take no plane. Okay, and so, so the, there's the, it, this history describes these scenes where they're at the, the shipping port, right? They're at the shipping port. They're about to go to America. And the reality is their family's there. And it's like, we might not see each other. That's the reality. They said, for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his mission, I am willing to give up anything. And there, and, and, and there is this one record as, as uh, two young men are on a boat and they're, and they're, they're, they're sailing and, and they're beginning to get, you know, far enough where you can't see them that well. And their, their family is looking at them and, and they, they hear them say one thing. They hear them say, may the lamb that was slain receive the rewards of his suffering. Saying we're doing this for Christ Jesus. And he is worth me sacrificing real stuff. But Jesus says it's not simply sacrifice. That God has a supply of rewards in this life. And namely, he says, listen, even if, even if it means that you are ostracized by your friends or your family, even if that means that puts you on the outs, he has this other family for you. And it's called the church. Listen, this is why it's so important. Jesus is saying, I will supply for those who have left real things through the relationships in the church. That I will provide houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields. I will provide what you need through my people called the church. This is why church can't be an afterthought. This is what supplies those who have sacrificed much for following Christ. Maybe that does it. Maybe that's not you. But you got to understand that is some people in here. Maybe it's not you. Maybe you're like, I this this easy. But you don't you don't know what people have sacrificed to follow Christ. So that means you have to show up in the church because you could be God's means of answering the supply that they need because of the sacrifice they made for following Christ. And not only that, God has a supply of joy in the age to come. I don't know if though, like, I just want you to know, you've sacrificed a lot for Christ, hit the end of your life, you're standing before Christ as the judge. I don't know if at that point anybody's regretting anything. I don't know if they're like, man, I wish I would have done what I wanted to do. No, they are sitting, standing before Christ, who is joyful and proud, and says, come here, my good and faithful servant, and enjoy what I have given you. In the last verse, we find that the final estimation, the the final litmus test, the final test of humanity will be surprising. Verse 31, it says, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. In other words, he's saying, listen, there are times when you're following Jesus. Let's just let's make it real. Let's make it real. Sometimes when you follow in Jesus, it means that you do your job with integrity which means somebody who's not doing their job with integrity might get above you. Yeah? So, okay, so, 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 so from the world's perspective, you're looking and like, well, like that guy first. Like the guy who cheated is first because you up there behind him. But in the final day, 
and the final estimation, Jesus is going to make all things clear. Everything that was secret is going to be brought to light. And even if in this life it looked like you sacrificed and suffered and you're behind, Jesus on the last day is going to make it known who served him. And though you might have been at the bottom of the totem pole here, we'll be at the top. Because Christ honors those who sacrifice for him. Now, I think sometimes it's, it's, you, you look at Jesus and you're like, man, you be, you be telling us to do hard stuff, Jesus. That's, that's hard. But we have a Savior who has lived what he taught. Jesus Christ in heaven had everything he could possibly want or need. Thousands and thousands of angels worshipped him. Perfect peace, no need whatsoever. And he saw us in our sin. And he gave up his home. He gave up his praises that were singing. He gave up his riches in heaven to come down and be born poor. To walk among people who hated him and to eventually die the death on the cross. Why? So that we could be free. So that we could be forgiven. Beloved, he's not asking you to sacrifice when he himself has not. But he has given his very life for you. And why? It says, listen, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That joy is our salvation. He end- so listen, if we endure hard stuff for the sake of obedience and for the sake of honoring Christ, that means we are following in the footsteps of our Savior. And just as he has joy at the end of it, so do we. So do we. <laughs> you know, what this scripture points to is I think it, it, it shows us the importance of contentment in this life. Listen, Jesus instructs us towards contentment with what we have and a desire to live a simple lifestyle. You know, there's, there's this, this parable that Jesus gives, and he's like, there's this guy, he has a lot of stuff, his barn, his building gets, gets full of all the stuff he has. And so he's like, oh man, oh man, I, I, got, I got too much stuff for my building, what do I need to do? Okay, what I'll do is I'll tear down my building, and then I'll build a bigger building so I can store more of my stuff. And in the parable, it says, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We have to cultivate a sense of contentment. One of the ways you cultivate contentment is by seeing what you have as blessings from God. By by cherishing those who are around you, by cherishing your family and your friends, by cherishing that job that you have, by cherishing all these things that have been given to you. See, this discipline directs us, excuse me, it directly challenges our vested interests in an affluent lifestyle. The goal of life is not just to get more stuff. The goal of life is to enjoy what has been given to you. That's the goal, y'all. Contentment with what you have helps you to do your calling with integrity. I've been, I've been in the business world, y'all. There, there is a temptation to cut some corners. 
there's a temptation to, to get the bottom line. But when I have contentment with what God has given me, I can live with integrity. So y'all, following Jesus is worth it. It's worth it in this life because he supplies our joy, our peace, and he supplies the relationships we need through the church. And it's worth it because in the age to come, we will look at all the sacrifices that we made for Jesus and see them as small compared to the joy that we will have with him. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you so much for your scripture. Um, though it challenges us, you challenge us because you look at us with love. And Lord, I pray that we would see the challenges and the, the problems and the, the roadblocks in this life, not simply as things to take us down, but mechanisms through which you show your love to us. Would you help us have um, good self-examination? Lord God, that we would not value anything above you. And Lord, would you give us a heart that loves you and loves those around us so that even if we have to sacrifice something, we can be content in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.